So I texted you and I said, Brody, I'm hearing some things. And I, I got back a text, we'll talk. And I was like, oh. oh. <laughs> hey, everybody, what's up? Trey Wingo here. Welcome into another episode of Half Forgotten History, Season 4. This next guest is uh, just really special to me. Uh, I was very fortunate to work with him for nine years together at ESPN. And, and before that, uh, before he joined us, he was a player and then a head coach in the NFL for several teams. And we used to do this Monday show on ESPN News where all we did was go around and listen to the coaches' press conferences every Monday after the Sunday's games. And there were a few coaches that we always knew we had to stay on their press conferences a little longer because it was so entertaining. Uh, no one was more entertaining at the mic uh, than Herm Edwards when he was the head coach of the Jets. And he had all those viral moments. You play to win the game. Hello. You know, we're going to show up. Got the letter that says we can go to the playoffs. And that same energy and entertainment he brought when he was by my side for nine years on NFL Live. We became extremely good friends, and we remain extremely close friends to the, this, this day. Uh, one of the saddest days of my entire career at ESPN was the day he left to go to Arizona State. But the good news is I still see him all the time. We still stay in touch. And I had to make sure my road dog was a part of Half Forgotten History. So please now enjoy this episode from the bottom of my heart with one of the greatest people you will ever meet in the world, Herm Edwards. Well, let me just say I'm starting this episode with a phrase I haven't used enough over the last year and a half. What's up, road dog? <laughs> my roadie. Long time no see. <laughs> oh, it is good to see your face. So just so people understand... As we're taping this podcast today, it is 8 o'clock in the morning in beautiful Tempe, Arizona. I want you to tell me what time you got up today and list all the things you've already done today before we started doing this podcast. Well, I got up at 4, started my workout about 4.30, uh, got done with that, and then I'm starting to script the uh, training camp action because the players, we, we just got through with spring ball here last month, and so now we're going to the phase of I got to put in training camp get about 29 days or so. So I'm starting to script all the practices, you know, that just doesn't appear. So I'm going to script all the practices, get with the coordinators uh, probably next week, and then look at the practice, uh, uh, you know, situations that we're going to do and see if there's any adjustments. So we're working at it, Rhodes, we're working at it. I want people to understand that there was an old commercial that the army used to put out there and said, we do more before 10 o'clock than most people do all day. That's Herm Edwards up at four workout, already scripting plays, getting stuff ready to roll. And honestly, Herm, our time together when we worked at ESPN, that was one of the things that just impressed me the most about you is that you never wasted a second. Your entire life has been about making sure something is scheduled and something's going. Where did that come from? Probably from my dad, Trey, and, and I learned at a very young age that lost time is never found. You don't get it back. And I hear a lot of people in life talk about, well, I didn't have enough time. Well, because, you, you, you know, you didn't have a plan and you didn't have, uh, you, you weren't organized in your daily routine. And so I've always tried to be an organized guy, understanding, you know, when I get my work done and, and how long it was going to take me. So then when it came time for me to have some leisure hours, I wasn't you know, looking back and saying, well, I didn't do this. I did do it. I got it all done. So like we're working with you, Rody, we knew we had yeah. to get it done. And once we got it done, we're going to the <laughs> team box. <laughs> that's, we're play. That's, a, that's exactly right. And I don't know where it started, but I, I, or where it was, but we were at some boondoggle somewhere playing golf at a beautiful place. And you looked at me, and this is a phrase that I will never forget. You looked at me and you said, Rody, 
somebody had to be us today. It might as well be us. And, and that, is a, that is a life philosophy for me. <laughs> no, you're right. And, and I just think, um, you know, you, in, in life, you got to work. You know, not, nothing's free. And if you put the time in, then there's, there's, there's moments in your life where you got to sit back and enjoy it. You know, you got to enjoy, step away from what you're doing and enjoy the company of people that you want to surround yourself with. You know, in, in life, I, I, I'm a two daughters, as you know, Vivian and Gabrielle. And I tell them, I said, look, in your lifetime, you, you will have a lot of acquaintances. But you're only going to have a handful of friends. Yeah. And obviously, Road Dog, you're one of my friends. Right. And so well, it's, it's, those are the things in life you learn as you get older you know you start thinking back of all of all the associates and all the acquaintances you've met but who are the five or maybe ten people in some people's lives that if you made a call they show up they'd be there for yeah. you right that's a, that's exactly right that's that's exactly right and you hang on to those things and you make sure you stay connected to those people you know you mentioned your father and and i think i'd like to talk a little bit about that because i don't think a lot of people are fully aware of your situation with your family. Your father was a World War II veteran. Yes. Uh, and, and met a German woman yes. uh, and, and, and married a German woman. And then when they moved back to the States, there were places that your parents were not welcome because your father was African-American right. and your mother was white. Yes. What, what was that? What was that like? Well, I, you know, you're young, so you don't realize that. And they tell you the story. My father was a, uh, you know, master sergeant, served 22 years in, in the service, fought World War II and the Korean War. And um, I was born in Fort Myers, New Jersey. And then from there, he got transferred to Germany. So, you know, him and my mom were married, uh, obviously, in the 40s. And um, lo and behold, when they were in Germany and they were getting ready to come back to the States, they were, they were married. He was still in the service, had about another year or two to serve before he was going to be discharged and get out. Um, he couldn't go south. And you're talking, Trey, probably 1960, because the marriage was invalid. And so a black man couldn't be married to a white woman in the south. And so if you look at California, a lot of interracial marriage couples that were in the service ended up on the West Coast. That's where they sent a lot of them, right? Uh, and so I grew up on the West Coast. That's how I ended up where I, you know, ended up in Seaside and Monterey on the peninsula right. uh, due to the fact there was an army base. And I kind of grew up there. And that's, that's kind of how it all started for me. And I, I put that in the back of my mind and went, are you kidding me? This is 1960 now. It's in the 60s. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't in the 50s and the 40s. It was 60s. <laughs> what, what, what did that tell you? Well, I mean, what did you learn from that and, and seeing those things still very prevalent at a time where you could process them and understand them? Well, at that time, uh, the conversation I had with my dad is like, look, I, I joined the service and, and got out of the South uh, in the fact that I wanted to have a better life and make a better life for my children. And, you know, my mom felt the same way. She was a German war bride. Uh, she didn't finish. Uh, she didn't finish high school. She went in the factories to work because they had to go to work. My father uh, you know, didn't, didn't really finish high school either. He joined the army when he's like 17, 18 years old. And so, uh, you know, neither one of them had a, had a college degree, uh, and they wanted to make life better for their children. Right. And, and whatever he needed to do to do that. And he felt like serving his country would give me a better opportunity to accomplish some things that I had dreams about. And, and it certainly has worked out as you've, you've become a legendary figure in football on a variety of levels, not just your playing days, your coaching days, your analytical days with us at ESPN. Uh, you are, there, there are a few, like 
There are very few people that you just say one word and they know who you're talking about. There are very few Herms out there. You say Herm <laughs> in football terms, everybody knows it's Herm Edwards. So let's talk about your journey as a player. When did you start playing football and when did you realize you really liked playing football? Well, Trey, I, you know, as I grew, grew up, I watched this movie and I think I told you this. Um, it was uh, Jim Thorpe, the movie of Jim Thorpe. And Burt Lancaster was Jim Thorpe. He, he played the character Jim Thorpe. And watching this movie really um, excited me and took my focus on a guy that was a great athlete, that, that was multi-talented, did everything. And watching that movie, I decided, you know what? I want to grow up and be like that guy. I just, that, that's my guy. I want to be like Jim yeah. Thorpe. I'm going to play everything with the ball. Now, golf was not a part of that, to be quite yeah. honest. <laughs> but it was the basketball, it was the baseball, it was the football. And I became an athlete. And, and really, uh, at that point in time, you know, I grew up really looking at athletes like if, you, if you're going to be an athlete and, and you're going to be really good, there's certain things you can't do, right? And I, I just assumed this, Trey. I didn't know. Yeah. I said, well, you know, you, you got to get your rest. Um, you, don't, you don't drink. Uh, you don't do any of those things. You, you don't curse. You don't use bad language. You know, you don't, you don't do that stuff because that's not part of being a pro athlete or an athlete, period. And so I grew up with that mindset and, um, and, and I still don't drink and I don't cuss. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, because that was just kind of my mindset. And then from there growing up, you know, you, tackle football was not presented to me until I got in high school. There was no pop warning when I grew up. It was flag football. You take your guys and go up to the park and you play tackle, right? Right. And so I became, here we go. Growing up, I became this Dallas Cowboy fan. There you go. <laughs> I love the Cowboys. <laughs> and I love Bob Hayes and, you know, and, and Tom Landry and all those guys. And my whole life, you know, I said, I'm going to be a Dallas Cowboy. I want to play for the Dallas Cowboys. I wore number 22 in high school, wore it in college. Sure enough, I go to Philadelphia. And about the yeah. first week of training camp, I said, you know what? You can't like the Cowboys anymore, man. Yes. <laughs> I was about to say that that one you had to keep on the back burner and change your allegiances when, when you got to the Eagles. But before you got to the Eagles, yeah, let's talk about your your collegiate career because you, there was a rule change because of something you did in a game in college. Yeah. Um, there was a field goal. Att- was it was this when you were at uh this this I went back to JC for for a year and got into yeah. coach, but yeah. I jumped up, uh they were kicking a field goal, uh, a long one, and so I kind of moseyed back there figured. He's not going to make this. If it's short, you know, I'll try to return it. And lo and behold, he got a, he got a hold of it. It was coming. It was getting ready to go over the goalpost, and I jumped up and knocked it away. And everybody kind of looked and said, "What? What is that?" And I, I just yeah. naturally just jumped up, saying, "I can get this." And I jumped up, and knocked yeah. it away. Right? And everybody's kind of looking around. There was no rule, and everybody said, "How? Did, what just happened?" And the next week, it came about again, and they put a rule in and said, "You can't jump up, and knock the knock the ball down." That's 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 against the rules. See, you were too athletic for the sport, Herm, is what we're finding out here, right? I can jump in. I can't jump anymore. Well, I have Phil Mickelson ups, you know, about this big, what he won the Masters in 04. That's that's the extent of it for me. So you literally changed the game. So you did. You did. Um, So why don't we take a quick break here? And when we come back, we'll talk about your time uh, playing with the Philadelphia Philadelphia Eagles uh, and the rest of your NFL career. Stay with us. Herm Edwards, my road dog, with us on this episode of Half Forgotten History. You know, here on Half Forgotten History, we love talking to the legends in the game about the stories behind some of their most rewarding moments, sometimes in the biggest game possible. And when you're off the field, well, you want to be rewarded as well. So if you're looking for a credit card that fits your lifestyle, look no further. U.S. Bank has credit cards that make every day rewarding, no matter what you're into. 
For example, you feeling hungry? Well, check out the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points on takeout, food delivery, and dining, and get two times points at gas stations, grocery stores, and on streaming. That'll keep your wallet and your mouth full. Big spender? Well, the U.S. Bank Visa Platinum Card has a low intro APR for large purchases or balance transfers, and you call the shots with the U.S. Bank Cash Plus Visa Signature Card. Choose two categories each quarter, earn 5% back on your first $2,000 of eligible purchases from those categories. So don't just get a credit card, get the right card to make every day more rewarding. Cashback, merchandise, travel rewards, and low intro APRs are waiting. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. The creditor and issuer of these cards is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA Incorporated. And the cards are available to U.S. residents only. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Trey Wingo here to tell you that NFLSundayTicket.tv is like having front row seats to every out-of-market game all season long every Sunday afternoon, no matter where you live. That is a lot of football. And guess what? This season you get more football than ever before. 18 weeks of NFL glory right there in front of you, streamed to your favorite device. Just picture this scenario with me. You sit down, you put your feet up, kick back, eat snacks, and watch an insane amount of NFL football every Sunday afternoon. So make your seat a front row seat and catch every second of your favorite players and your favorite teams every Sunday afternoon. Now, to see if you're eligible for this, make sure you go to nflsundayticket.tv slash sundayready and stream every NFL Sunday ticket game this season to follow your favorite team no matter where you live. Use promo code WINGO2021 at checkout to get 15% off. Exclusive discounts also available. Select international games excluded. Eligibility restrictions do apply. Compatible device required. Data charges may apply. Back with Herm Edwards on this episode of Half Forgotten History. So as you said, you grew up a Cowboys fan and you go through your collegiate days and you end up with the Philadelphia Eagles. So how quickly did you learn we do not say nice things about the Dallas Cowboys as a member of the Philadelphia Eagles? Well, that, that's all you hear about uh, because they, they, were the, they, they were the best team uh, in football for a while. They, they had a heck of a run and they were in our division, the NFC East, which was a pretty tough division. Saint, the yes, St. Louis Cardinals then were, were in our yep. conference as well. You know something about St. Louis, obviously. Jim Hart and Terry Metcalf and, and absolutely L Gray and all those great players they had there. But, um, you know, the Cowboys were the team that consistently was in the championship game or went to Super Bowls. And so that, that was the team that we needed to beat. And they were in our conference. And, and I think in the NFL, as well as college, you always draft and build your team for teams that play in your conference. That's how it works. Right. So the NFC was a pretty tough conference. Washington was there, the Giants. Uh, the St. Louis Cardinals, the Eagles, and obviously the Dallas Cowboys. And so you start learning that, you know, if we're going to win anything, uh, we got to, it goes through Dallas and we're going to have to beat those guys. So you get there uh, and you're pretty successful early on in your career. And much in the same way, you kind of change the college game with the rule change that we can no longer swat away field goals. You kind of changed the fortune of the Eagles on one play in 1978 at the Meadowlands against the Giants. The miracle at the Meadowlands, one of the most famous and infamous plays in NFL history. For those that do not remember, the Giants at that point uh, had uh, Joe Pisarczyk as their quarterback. Uh, the running back was Larry Zonka, who was at the tail end of his career after winning Dol uh, Super Bowls with the Dolphins, went into the WFL for a while, then came back into the NFL, was with the Giants. And they had the lead, and all they had to do was kneel down and run out the clock. 
Instead, they run a play and Pisarczyk sort of stumbles back and hits Larry Zonka on the thigh with the, uh, with the handoff and the ball pops out and you pick it up and scoop and score with about, what, 20 seconds to play to give the Eagles one of the more improbable wins in the history of the NFL. Tell me through take, – take us through that play and what was going in your mind as you saw it unfolding. Well, the prior play before that, Trey, that's not on television. You know, there was, there was no ESPN then, by the way. Correct. Yep. <laughs> that's true. Uh, any replay you watch was on Good Morning America or something like that, right, or late news. Or, and, and so what happened was they had kneeled uh, a play prior to that, and um, Bill Berge, who was our, our middle linebacker, Absolutely. not Clack, who was the center in the joke. And a little skirmish came in and it started and the officials came in there, you know, and kind of backed them up. And so then Joe gets this call from the sideline and they're saying, you know, run the ball and the players are telling him kneel it. And I know this because Joe comes to us the following year or two and he ends up being the backup quarterback behind Joe Washington. We go to the Super Bowl uh, with yeah. Joe and he kind of tells the story on his side. So I'm getting this information as we're sharing the story. And so, um, you could tell that there was something was something wasn't right, and, and the clock was ticking down, and, and Joe's kind of under center, and he's kind of looking back at Zonka, and I'm going, this is interesting. And the ball is snapped a little bit early before Joe gets it. You don't see that on television because Clack is worried about the 40 second clock running out, and they call it a penalty, and the clock stops, you know, and gives us another chance. And so the ball is bobbled from the snap. Well, I'm close to the line of scrimmage because they're in this real tight formation, and uh, I see the ball being bobbled. And the guy in the up back in front of me, I'm like, he doesn't see it. He thinks he's taking a knee or whatever. And, and Zonka goes through and it hits his hip. And now it hits the ground. And I go around the corner and I go, I'm thinking in my brain, I got to get it on this first bounce. And I get it on the first bounce and Joe's reaching out. And the only thing I hear from Joe, he goes, oh, no. And I'm running. <laughs> and, the end zone, right? and so now, the story, here's, here's the best thing about this story. So can you imagine, Dick Vermeule's on the sideline, Trey. Yeah, he's like, I'm looking at you and you're Jaworski and Carmichael and Wilbur Gummer. He's talking to those guys and the plays happen on the behind. Him. He don't even see it. And players are leaving the bench. They're running. And he grabs one. He says, where are you guys going? He said, coach, Herm just scored a touchdown. Coach Vermeule never saw the play. Get he out of here. You never saw the play. <laughs> and he turns around, I guess, and he says, what happened? He said, he just scored a touchdown, coach. <laughs> Oh, that's unbelievable. I never heard that part of the story yeah, before. Yeah, it's amazing. So here it gets better, Trey. So at the end of the story, this is how it ends. So Joe Pasarsic ends up coming to us. Yeah. And we know he's coming down to our locker room. You can imagine everybody's kind of standing in the doorway. The doors are closed and Dick's bringing him in the locker room. And he walks in. Imagine you're Joe Pasarsic. The whole team is standing there waiting on him. And he walks in and Bill Burton has a football. And he throws it up and it hits the ground. And he hollers, play it again, Sam. And I pick up the ball and give it to him. <laughs> well, that's a nice way to look. That way in the locker room. Hey, listen, that's what the locker room is there for. There yes. are no rules and no restrictions. you no. got to have tough skin. That's right. Uh, to, that's right. To, to be in the locker room as well as play in the NFL. <laughs> so that play really turned the franchise of the Eagles around. You guys made the playoffs that year after having never made the playoffs for a long, long time. Yes. And that eventually led – to the NFC championship game that you guys beat the Cowboys in and made it to Super Bowl 15 and Dick Vermeil, legendary coach and obviously came back very later uh, in his NFL career and won a Super Bowl uh, with the Rams as part of the greatest show on turf Super Bowl 34 he was relentless like Vermeil was 
relentless, as you know. And I remember when we were going to New Orleans for Super Bowl 47, you were telling me about your experiences that Super Bowl week, just, just so people know, because like Vermeil invented the term burnout, coaches yeah. burnout. Like, so this is why. Tell everybody what your Super Bowl week experience was like as opposed to what every other NFL team goes through when they get to the Super Bowl. Well, you knew we were in trouble the, when we had pitcher day. And we were before the Raiders and taking the pictures in, in, in the stadium, right? And the Raiders going to yeah. follow us. So the Raiders are walking in there without shoulder pads on and just coming coming and take pictures. We had shoulder pads and helmets. And they said, what are you guys doing? I said, well, after this, we're going to practice some more. <laughs> so we beat, we actually beat the Raiders uh, on Thursday and Wednesday. Uh, yeah. But Sunday in the Super Bowl, it didn't work out too good. But, but that was Dick. You know, Dick was a guy. He was a, a taskmaster. I love him. I just talked to him this week. I, I love the man like a father. And you mentioned when they went to the Super Bowl with the Rams. It's kind of ironic. I was in Tampa Bay then. We lost to them in the championship game. I was Absolutely. assistant head coach. We lose to them. And I can remember when I came across in the mid, middle of the field and hugged him. And I looked at him. I said, Coach, win it for the guys. And he knew what I meant. Yeah. He knew what I meant. He knew win it for that eagle. I know you're gonna win it for the Rams. They're gonna get the credit, but win it for our guys. And, and you know, and so it was one of those deals. That's how much we love that man. I think that you also told me that the people will talk about their rental cars. I'm like you, you had nothing. Like you, you oh, guys no, were on, no, 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 you no, guys no, were on lockdown. We, so we're watching the TV like on Tuesday night. Yeah. And we're sitting in our rooms, you know, and we're looking at our playbooks. And um, I look up on the news, eleven o'clock news, and the Raiders. The Raiders are on Bourbon Street. <laughs> By Thursday, the Raiders still are on Bourbon Street. And I looked at my roommate. I said, we're in trouble, boys. <laughs> the boys are loose. <laughs> They're loose. <laughs> but that was the right way. That was the yeah. way. Right? Yeah. Two, two very different ways, both successful, but yes. two very different ways yes. to get to the same place. That's and then, right. obviously, the game fell oh, apart early. It could we love. If we love our boy Jaws. He tossed up three to Rod Martin. By the way, how skewed is it? In, in, in the NFL towards offense, where Rod Martin, the Raiders linebacker, a linebacker, a yeah. linebacker, had three interceptions in that game, and he wasn't named Super Bowl MVP. They gave it to Plunkett. I'm not saying Plunkett didn't play well, but you're a linebacker, and you get oh. three interceptions in a Super Bowl, and you don't get MVP? That's pretty good. And, and, and Jim had one of those Cinderella years because we yeah. actually played the Raiders in Philadelphia that year. Absolutely. And beat them. Beat them. Sacked him yeah. like seven times and beat them pretty good. And, you know, we were the favorite going in. We had a good football team, but they were the better team that day. And I'm not making excuses or anything like that. They made the plays. They jumped out early. We had a chance before the half ended to, to get it within a score. But we got a penalty on offense. It got called back. And then one thing led to another. But um, it wasn't one of our better games. Yeah. And, and I remember you telling me when we did go to New Orleans, you said, oh. I have not watched a Super Bowl since then. Because you said you made a vow to yourself. You wouldn't watch or go to a Super Bowl unless you were playing and winning in it. No, you're right, Trey. In all those years, um, I wouldn't watch it. And until I started working with you, because um, now you had to watch it, right? And, yeah. and the thing that people don't realize, that has skewed my daughter's uh, birthdays because the confetti thing, you know, people watch the confetti come down in the Super Bowl and everybody's all happy and they see the guys running into the confetti. Well, the losing team has to walk through that stuff. Yeah. And from that day forward, I went, you know what? I, I'm not a confetti guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, New Year's, birthdays, no confetti in my house. Don't give me confetti. Zero. I don't want to see the confetti. Too many bad memories. And, yeah. uh, that, that, that's, the way, that's the way that sort of sticks in your brain. So when your playing days were over, yes. how quickly did you think, I want to get into coaching? 
Oh, I knew right away, Trey. Um, I felt like I had an obligation and I had so much knowledge that I had gained. Uh, I wanted to get back to the game of football. You know, and I've told you this numerous times, I'm indebted to the game. I really am. Uh, it's given me a life that I could never imagine. And uh, I want to make sure, and, and I always did this as a, as a former player, as a coach, whether I was assistant coach or head coach, that the game is coached and played the correct way. You got to make the game better for the next generation. And I think that's important to me. And, and so I knew right when I got out, I was going to go coach. I was fortunate enough to go to San Jose State, uh, coached there in the second year for about three years, then started my journey in pro football uh, in Kansas City uh, with uh, Marty Schottenheimer. You know, Marty Schottenheimer was the head coach. Tony Dungy was on that staff. Bill Cowher was on that staff. Bruce Harris was on that staff. And then kind of worked my way from there. Went to Tampa, obviously, assistant head coach, and then the Jets head coach, and then got traded back to Kansas City. Yeah, people forget coaches can't get traded. I mean, that was that was the, that was literally the deal. You got traded back to Kansas City. Obviously, yeah. uh, you were a very successful coach for the New York Jets. You, I think you guys made the playoffs three times, mm-hmm. won the division, uh, won a couple of playoff games. But as much as anything, your time with the Jets as a head coach was not only about the success on the field, but about you sort of embracing that personality that everyone that knew you knew about, but people that didn't know you sort of were introduced to when you were the Jets head coach and you had those press conferences and you sort of embraced, and you went out of your way, by the way, people don't know this. You, 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 some coaches just don't get the media thing at all. You embraced it completely. In fact, you opened up a training camp basically for reporters to sort of broker goodwill and make sure that we're all in this together. Well, and I, and I felt, you know, that's an obligation to, to athletes. Um, whether you have a good game, not so good game, whatever it may be, win, lose, or draw, is that we have an obligation to use our platform to speak to the people that write and talk about us in a manner to help them. I'll always believe this, Trey. You know, everything I've ever learned in life, I learned from somebody else, right? We, we are all seekers of knowledge and information. You know, once you become a culture, like when you were an analyst and what you're doing now on your show, you're an information provider, right? You, 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 you give people knowledge on subjects. Well, how do you get that knowledge? You, you got to go search for it. And so when you sit here as a player or a coach and you talk about the game of football, you have a way of speaking to the people that are covering your sport and giving them information so they can actually talk about it in a manner that's good for the game. That, and, you know, even when you lose, you got to you can't run away and say, well, I don't want to talk today. No, you got to talk. You got to talk about it. And so I think that was important to me. It, it certainly was. And it certainly endeared you to the fans as well as the writers. Uh, and then there was the infamous press conference in 2002 where you guys got off to a terrible start. Uh, and in all likelihood, it looked like you guys weren't going to make the playoffs. And then someone asked you, well, you know, how are you going to play out the rest of the season? And you were like, what are you talking about? And that was the infamous, you play to win the game. You don't just play to play it. You play <laughs> to win the game. Well, when, how did that sort of come out of you? Was it frustration that they didn't understand? Like, regardless of the situation, you still got to go strap it up. Yeah, Trey, and, and it was bigger than football for me. It was bigger than football. This is a life lesson I learned from my father. He said, you know, when, when you sign on to do something in life, doesn't matter what you do. That, that, it doesn't matter what your occupation is. When you sign on to do it, your name's attached to that, all right? And the one thing you cannot do 
And my dad told me this, you will never do it. You bear my last name. You don't tap out. You don't get to quit when it gets hard or it doesn't look good or it looks like it ain't going to go my way. You finish it. You finish what you start. That's what you do. And that's where it came from. When, when, when the question was asked by a good friend, Judy Batista, were we about to quit? And then I went, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's just, it dawned on me what my father told me. He says, you know, you don't, that's not an option. Yeah. You don't get to tap out. Hey, yeah. bro, dog, we've had some bad holes in golf and we never <laughs> walked off. No, you keep, <laughs> we, we keep playing. We, we just, just kept, kept swinging, Brody. <laughs> and, and then the Jets kept swinging that year and you eventually made the postseason. So I would imagine that was a remarkable lesson for all of your players that saw that in real time. Well, and also not only that, we won the division. Yeah. Right. And, and I think the thing to me was when I, when this, when this press conference took place, it was on a Tuesday, there's not a player in the room. Players are off. Yeah. So you can imagine I walked back up in there Wednesday to have, to talk, you know, to the team about well, how we're going to do this week. We're going to play the San Diego Chargers. They were six and one. And I walk in there and, and before I can address the team, I don't know if it was Vinny or, or Chad, somebody stood up and said, Coach, we heard you. And I went, okay, let's go to work. And then we went out and beat the Chargers and we got on the run. Yeah, and, and there was another press conference later that year where you actually pulled out the letter uh, that the NFL sent you, congratulations on making the playoffs. And, and you, you hold it up to those things and say, look, I got the letter. Might as well go play, right? Says we can play, so we might as well go do it. They sent me the letter, and the commissioner's name was on it. I went, back. it's his name. Last time I checked, we get to go play. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. So why don't we take our second break here. When we come back, we'll talk about your transformation in our time together uh, hmm. as, as an analyst on NFL Live. Stay with us. The great Herm Edwards on Half Forgotten History. This episode of Half Forgotten History is brought to you by Starbucks Triple Shot Energy Extra Strength Coffee Beverage in a Can. That's Starbucks coffee that you love, ready to drink, offered in classic flavors, and now in zero sugar. They have four core flavors, vanilla, dark roast, cafe mocha, and caramel, and now also offering two zero sugar flavors, black and vanilla. Both are zero sugar and dairy-free. What gives you your energy? Find your Starbucks Triple Shot Energy online or at your local store. Everyone's favorite time of the year is just around the corner. I'm talking about college football season. And to celebrate, DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting together new players in the center of attention with $200 in free bets instantly if you bet $1 or more on any college football game. Take advantage of this limited-time offer now. And you heard that right. DraftKings is giving all new players $200 in free bets instantly. When you place a bet of a dollar or more on any college football game, no matter what, head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now to check out all the great promotions and daily odd boosts that they are offering. DraftKings Sportsbook is safe, secure, and reliable, located right here in the United States, so it's easy to deposit your money and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code WINGO to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any college football game. Promo code WINGO to get your free $200 in free bets instantly for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. All right, back with you. Uh, Herm Edwards with us on Half Forgotten History. Just can't stop smiling for this episode. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, and... After your 
uh, days as a coach were done. Uh, you were hired by our friend Seth uh, at ESPN uh, to come work with us on NFL Live. And I knew right away that you were going to be great at this because you are who you are. And I'd seen you play out all these years. But people sometimes don't understand it can be hard to translate natural sort of energy, wisdom, entertainment, and uh, effervescence into something to do on camera. And sometimes that's not easy. And I remember watching you day one, and there were a million people in your head. And they were telling you to do this and do that. Look here and look here. And I could just see the eyes sort of getting a, what's happening? So I was like, okay, I just need to talk to her and say, hey, you're going to be fine. Let's just, let's just do this. And I, I felt like you just needed a little reset and boom, you just took off. Well, Rody, let me tell you something. And I tell people all the time, you know, I, obviously I do a lot of uh, corporate speaking and leadership and things of nature. And I always, and I tell stories and some people ask me questions. Well, what did you do to, you know, how did this thing work on ESPN? And I said, let me tell you something. I said, Trey Wingo taught me how to be a professional analyst. There's no doubt. Him and Mark Slarek. I, yeah. I work with those guys almost every, every time I was there, I worked with them for at least a month or two, right? Yeah. And I said, Trey Wingo is one of my best friends. And I said, the best advice he ever gave me, and you, you, made, you just made point of it. I can remember getting ready to go on NFL Live, and I've got all these papers over there, and I've got all these notes. <laughs> And I'm sweating, man. I'm going, and you looked over. And I was on the last guy on the left. And you were over there. And you said, but the clock's ticking down. It's going 15. And the guy's going, oh, here we go. Get ready to go live. And I'm looking at all these cameras. And you said, Rolly. And I looked over at you. And you go, I'm going to ask you a football question. Give me a football answer. And I tell people, that right there, that statement you made was profound. It was like, yeah. okay, that's what I'm going to do. And that's what I did. Yeah. And sometimes we overthink it. Like, you know, a press conference Herm is what people needed to see on television. And that was all it took. And, and, and you really, really took off. And there were so many, like, there's a list of Hermisms that I can come to that we, we need to get to like, you know what, don't press send. Oh, right. No, 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 don't, don't do that. <laughs> it's your resume. It's your resume. What I you put out there. Yeah, I got 115 uh, young men here, uh, student athletes, right? And I tell them all the time, I say, you know, you press that. That's your resume. You don't get it back. You can't say oops. No, they got it. And then they're going to question you on it. I mean, look how that has come back to haunt people yeah. at every level in, every in, in, level. in, 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 in the workplace, right? It just comes, it gets you. Don't, don't get emotional and press something. Yeah. Leave it alone. Another one of yours, nothing good happens after midnight. 12 o'clock rule. Anytime you're at 12 o'clock, if you read, read to, you know, the news and it's like, this happened one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, I'm going, yeah. 12 o'clock rule. Whatever you got to do, get it done before 12 o'clock, you'll be fine. Absolutely. Also, Herm Edwards rule of one. You only need one of everything. That was the uh, symposium yeah. uh, when I was talking to the rookies, you know, it's real simple. One car, one house, one piece of jewelry. And here's the big one. You either married or you got a girlfriend. You can't have both. You got to choose. You can't have both of them. Yeah, you want. Just I'm, sure some, one I'm sure some players are like, oh, I can have one girlfriend, no. one girlfriend and a wife. No, no, no. One. one. You can have one or the other. You, you can't get have married both. Or you have a girlfriend. You can't have both. The Herb Edwards rule of one, very, very important. And also, your number one rule be on time. Oh, oh. You know what it means? That you care. It's important. Yeah. That you, that, that you have your priorities set for that day, that you're organized. Trey, you know me, and you've been around me, and, and you're the same way. There's something about being organized. It's just something about it. 
It's yeah. not, not. Well, I'll, I'll give you this one. We talked about this too. A plan that can't be changed is a bad plan. Correct. But even when you're organized, at least the adjustment of the plan becomes smooth. There's no panic involved in it, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, being on time to me is, oof, it's critical. So we had more fun in nine years working together oh. at, at ESPN because everywhere we went, we decided we're just going to enjoy it. Whether we're at the draft, at the Super Bowl, uh, owners meetings, because we would get our work done that we always find time to go have ourselves some fun. And um, it just, I don't know what it was. I, I it, you know, you would say to yourself, you, there are certain people that you would right away say, okay, I get why these two people are friends and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, I don't know why it clicked for us, but it just did. And, you know, you were always so gracious. Like I, one year I did the NFL owners meetings and you, you weren't there and you said, come on up to the house. And I flew up to, to Carmel there and uh, right there in the airport. And we just hung out and played golf all over the place. And I, I just, there are certain people that you should enjoy their company. And, and for whatever reason, that just worked for us, man. And uh, it's, it's, it's something I'll never, ever forget. Oh, Rody, I'm the same way. And uh, I, I told my wife and the girls, I'm going on Wingo show today. They were excited. They said, you know, talk to Wingo. I said, I'm talking to Wingo today. <laughs> and it's just, you're right, Trey. And it's just yeah. something that just, you can't force relationships. Yeah. You know, it's just certain people that you, you're around and there, there's something to them. It's just something about them. You, you enjoy being with them. Um, and it, 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 it just was one of those deals, man. And you know, I love you, man. I love you. I love you like a brother, man. And, and it was just the respect that I had for you and your profession, how professional you were and how you took the time to help me, man. I mean, you, you took the time to show me how to do it right. And, and to me that you, I never lost sight of that. I said, this is my guy, man. You know, and, and I tell people today, I said, the reason I was successful on television was Trey Wingo was my mentor. And in life, wow. you always have mentors, and you were my mentor. And you, well, you, know, you know, and Stank, you know, and Stank helped me too, yeah. you know. But no. you were the guy that I could always go to and ask questions, and you would tell me, "Hey, don't worry, don't worry about that. Just do this." Yeah. Okay. Well, it, it it goes both ways, and I said this when you when you left in 2017. You're never too old to be coached, and I feel like my entire life, you are going to be my coach. Right. And speaking Thank of coaching, like we had always talked, and you were like, you know, I love ESPN. It's great. I'm gonna be here forever. I thought I was going to be there forever. Uh, <laughs> and, and then I heard this rumor. Someone said, hey, man, Herm Edwards, I, I, his name's coming up as a potential coach at Arizona State. I'm like, man, there's no way. There's no way. Because Herm told me, like, this is it. He's, he's, he's in. He doesn't won't do that anymore. And I texted you. I said, I'm going to text him. He'll tell me. And this is no big deal. So I texted you. and I said, Brody, I'm hearing some things. And I, I got back a text. We'll talk. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh no oh no that was like okay i think that this might be a turning point so what was it about you that made you want to go back and by the way not only go back go back somewhere where you hadn't really been in a long time you know going back to the nfl circles would would have made a lot of sense to a lot of people you decided to dive back into the college arena what was it well, first of all, the situation, uh, knowing Ray, uh, who's, the, who's the athletic director, he was my agent back in the day, yeah. uh, along with Tony Dungy's and, and Marvin Lewis and, and a bunch of other guys, you know, coaching that Under Armour All-American game. I coached for about eight years. And, you know, I, I felt the competition again, and I felt being around the players. It's fun being in that huddle, Trey. Yeah. You know, I've never done anything else. I've been a football player, football coach, and then I had, obviously, the honor of working with you guys at ESPN. 
Um, but I've always been in this huddle. You know, you always go on this journey every year and, you know, you sit there and you're on television and it's good. It, it, you know, it was great, but it had to be the right situation for me because I had opportunities before and I went, no, I'm good. Yeah. But knowing Ray and what he wanted to build and the culture here for the student athlete, it was appealing to me, right? It was appealing to me. And I said, you know, I, I can give back to football. I can develop young coaches. That was another of my thinking. I want to develop young coaches so they can be coordinators and head coaches and move up the ranks. I got enough information and, and, and I can still connect to the young. If I couldn't connect to the young people, I wouldn't have done it, Trey. But yeah. being in the Under Armour game every year and those young high school kids before they were getting ready to go to, to college would tell me, coach, you need to come back and coach college football, right? And they kept telling me that. I did it for eight years and I went, eh. and finally, and it was hard. You, look, you were part of the send-off now. Yeah. Uh, i tell you what, I, I still have people coming up to me and say, hey, man, that was a heck of a And people say this, they said, you and Trey Wingo are really close. I said, yeah, we're yeah. real close, man. That was a hard day. That was, a, that was one of the hardest days ever for me, Trey. It, it, was a hard, it was a hard one for me, too, but uh, the ice cream sandwiches made up for when we brought, <laughs> that, we brought that truck of ice cream sandwiches. Um, the, the other thing, too, which always made me laugh, is people like people come to me and say, you know, Herm's going to go to college. He's never been to college. And I'm sitting to myself saying, man, you don't know Herm. If you don't think Herm is going to light up somebody's living room when they're talking to their mom and dads and that kid, and you don't think he can reach him, you don't know what you're talking about. In fact, I would make an argument that even though you were very successful in the NFL, you probably were better suited to be a college coach all along just because of the way you are. Well, Trey, I do know this. Um, uh, the thing that I always present uh, to families and to the young people, I, so I tell all of them, look, I, I can't give you talent. God gave you your talent. I'm going to give you information so you don't waste it. And I tell parents, your son's going to graduate. If he's good enough, he will be in position to play in the National Football League. But the thing that I really hone in on is, look, I'm going to allow him to, be, to, be, to become the best version of who he is. That's my job. Yeah. That's what I want to do. I'm going to grow him up. I become a part of your family. You become a part of my family. I want him to leave college having an experience when he goes back and looks back 20 years from now and go, you know what? Boy, playing for coach, I learned a lot of things besides football, right? We won a lot, and that's all great. But growing them up as men, Trey, is important. And I've got so much information uh, that I can give back to them that I just felt compelled to do it. Yeah, and it's been great. And you've been successful so far, and it's been wonderful to see. And some of the people that have come to play for you or people that, you know, sons of guys that you worked with, you know, like, like, like Ryan Clark's son is there with yes. you now. Ocho Senko, his son. Yeah. We got yeah. a bunch of them. Yeah, we got that, a bunch of them. That's just really, really cool. Um, and obviously this was a very trying year for college sports. You guys thought you weren't going to have a season. Then you were going to have a season. What was it like dealing with all of that in, in the year of COVID and just how hard was it to have any sort of consistency at all? Well, you mentioned it. It was a, uh, it was a plan and, and it needed to be changed a lot. Yeah, it changed. You know, right? It can't be changed as a bad plan. Or... That's exactly right. And the opponent was invisible. Yeah. It's one thing when you can see him on film and you played against him before. It's another thing when he's invisible. And every day was a new challenge for us. And I thought the team and just young people in general that were student athletes, it took a toll on them. I mean, because you don't come to college going, well, I, I, I can't go to class. I'm doing everything from Zoom. I'm eating out of a you know, I got to take everything out. We couldn't eat as a team. There were a lot of adjustments everyone had to make, right? 
and it, it was difficult, but I thought after we got going, there was a routine and, and, and obviously it was broken. We, we started, we started late in the season. We started out with SC, um, really competitive game. And at the end, they came back to get us. And then all of a sudden we were shut down for about three weeks. I caught the virus, right? I mean, it was like, it was one of those deals. And then we come back after not playing for three weeks, play UCLA, lose. And then all of a sudden we find our sea legs and then we win the next two in a row. And that's kind of how it ended for us. But going forward now, we're much more aware how to handle it. Is the, is the, is the, is the opponent still invisible, still invisible, still around, by the way, yeah. <laughs> still invisible. Yeah. He's still around. Right. Yeah. And so how do we get through this next set of issues? Right. And I think we're much better equipped. I think college football in general, our society in general is much more equipped to deal with it, but it hasn't gone anywhere and we can't be fooled because it's still hovering. Yeah. And uh, we'll, we'll see how, hopefully that plays out and we can get people vaccinated and get people going yeah. and, and on their way. But, you know, I, I knew that you had made the right choice to go back to school before the Saturday night game against Michigan State and Tempe, it was on ESPN or, or was it was on ESPN yeah, late at no. night on Saturday. And they had a shot of you as you're walking your team onto the field. And I could see in your eyes that the passion still burned. And I'll never forget, you just screamed at them, not screamed, you just said it loudly and forcefully, leave it on the grass, leave it on the grass tonight. And you guys, I mean, I get chills just saying that right now and, and thinking about that. And you guys upset uh, a, a heavily favored Michigan State team. And that really started you off and like, okay, people started thinking, yeah, Herm, no, Herm can do this. Is that, did that feel like that moment for you? Well, it was a big game, obviously. You play a, a team like Michigan State who's always going to be in the, in the national rankings, uh, and a fabulous football coach. And, uh, you know, I, you know there's, there's certain games you play and you know, okay, th this is this kind of – it can kind of set your sails going forward. Yeah. And I think the confidence we gained as, as a football team winning that game and then going forward, you know, we, it helped us. And we, we've been fortunate. Then we had to go back to next year and play them on the road, and we beat them yeah. on the road as Crazy well. Crazy you know? finish in that game. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but but I, I just think the thing, and you mentioned, leave it on the grass. It's like finish. And that's what it means, Trey. Just whatever you have, just leave it out there. And we can deal with the, we'll, we'll deal with what the score is. But right. you don't want to walk back in that locker room saying, you know what? I could have done. No, no. Because you, you don't want to cheat each other. You don't want to cheat your teammates to the left or to the right. You give whatever you have to give, and that's good enough. And we'll deal with the consequences of it. Well, and, and I think that's a perfect way to sort of sum up this, because no matter where you go, you leave it on the grass. And, and, I, and I said this uh, when you left, nine years with you wasn't enough. But the good news is it isn't the end, because this friendship of ours will never end. And, uh, and we will always, whenever we get together, whether we're working or whether we're playing golf or doing whatever it is we're doing, we're going to go out there and have fun and leave it on the grass. We're going to do that, Road Dog. And let me tell you, you got to come visit us. Listen, that is long overdue. And I can <laughs> promise you, I'm going to take you up on it. The right, unbelievably man. great Herm Edwards. Love you, Thank brother. you, my friend. Love you. Tell the family, give them a hug from me. Same to you. All right, brother. Once again, thanks to my Road Dog, Herm Edwards. And again, the greatest line he ever came up with. We were out there at some get away doing something and he turns to me and says Rody, someone had to be us today might as well be us if there's a life motto to go after believe me that's the one so our thanks to Herman wishing him all continued success coming up next week a guy who had to watch somebody else 
be more successful at the job that he was really good at and wanted to continue to do, but fate had another plan in mind. I'm talking about longtime NFL quarterback Drew Bledsoe, who watched Tom Brady from his rookie year to becoming what he is now, what many people consider the GOAT of all time. Drew Bledsoe, next time on Half Forgotten History.